0: Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with on Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Imig, from 88.9. Hey, this is Nate Imig with Bobby Tanzillo. Hey, Bobby.
1: How you doing, Nate? Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year, here for another episode of Urban Spelunking, brought to you by Midwest Stairs and Iron. And today we're talking about a downtown building that just got deconstructed in fact this is kind of a i like this little this is a, a unique take for us bobby because we 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 did an ode to a smokestack a couple weeks ago but a smokestack that <laughs> got taken down uh and now we're talking about a building that that left the milwaukee uh street. so tell us about this building and, and how you got on the on the case here
1: well nobody called the smokestack an ugly smokestack did they
0: right that was part of the story is uh th- this this building was was called ugly
1: it was called an ugly building by by another media outlet, which I thought was an interesting approach. But anyway, uh, so this this building, which was uh, between 3rd and Bill Phillips Avenue, um, has been there since 1885. And it was just like a low, single-story retail building with a little apartment above it, made entirely out of wood, like a wood frame building. So the kinds of buildings okay. that don't really last that well in a downtown, you know, if you look around downtown, you don't see many of those anymore and i felt like something had to be said about this building because it was being torn down after having been vacant for a long time because it apparently had become structurally unsound and um i just felt like it needed to be mentioned because there are so few of these buildings and now there's one fewer and it's the kind of building that i think everybody took for granted because it was just there
0: if you're not going to mention this building <laughs> who's going to right i mean this is like you know, your call
1: Right. Well, people did write about it when um, there had been, a when it got sold and there was a plan to p- open a bar and it, people were, you know, other media outlets wrote about that. And when it was decided to tear it down, I think some other media outlets wrote about that too, but I didn't want to just say it was being torn down. You know, I just, I sort of went and started digging through newspapers and city directories and things because I thought a building that's been there since 1885 has got to have some stories to tell, right? Even if it's been vacant for the last Ten years, you know,
0: and this really this this goes to like the overall mission statement of Urban spelunking is telling these stories that that you would never hear about about these buildings, and I'm so glad that you that you found these stories because we learned about uh, this amazing locksmith, Larry the locksmith,
1: Larry the locksmith.
0: We learned about uh, some other tenants like an instrument maker, so. Uh, lots of different folks were, were in this building over the years, and it certainly had this historic connection. So where do you want to start on the the occupants?
1: I want to tell you about Hermann Schindler, who is this like uh, German immigrant. Okay. For 40 years, he was in Milwaukee making musical instruments like uh, tubas, French, like brass instruments. He was making horns. Um, and so he was really well-known among local musicians because you know there are probably other instrument makers in town, but probably not a ton, Um
0: what what was involved in making an instrument at this time that we're talking about? What what year and and what was the process like?
1: Uh, he died in 1933, so he had been doing it since the you know the 1890s. So okay. that's pretty amazing. So probably lots of hammer heating up and hammering things like brass. I imagine, right? You know, yeah, um, handmade. Yeah, right, handmade stuff. And I assume he did repairs and things. So people who were in symphonies and orchestras mm-hmm. of all kinds were probably bringing him instruments to repair. But what I thought was funny about Mr. Schindler, he was apparently kind of a character because every reference I found, to, I didn't find a ton of references to him in the newspapers, but I found a few and pretty much every one of them referred to the fact that he hated jazz. Mm. Which seemed really interesting. Like They didn't specify that he loved or hated jazz Sousa marches, or that he loved or hated bluegrass, or that <laughs> you know, there was just it was just funny that you know he was he was also a member of a Swiss band in the city, Um, and okay,
0: so maybe like improvisation wasn't really his thing. Oh yeah, right, what right. I don't, I don't,
1: know, I don't know that it was an ethnic thing or a racial thing. I mean, he, he might have just yeah, as a musician, it, it might have offended. Him. It it is, it is a, little a little suspect. I'm not going to say it's not that because I don't know, <laughs> but it could just, it could also just be because he was you know, snooty about the music that he did okay. like, you know, and you know, you see this with a lot of people who like, even people who like jazz now, not everyone, but some people who like jazz now look down on rock and roll or hip hop or what? I, I just said rock and roll. Like it's 1962.
0: Uh, <laughs> you got into your old timey voice for that. <laughs> yeah.
1: 1962, <right? laughs> There it is. There it um, is. So I, maybe he was just snooty about it, but I just thought it was funny that like every time somebody referred to Schindler, they had to say he hated jazz and which makes you, Gives you a little insight into what it must have been like to walk into his shop. Right? I mean, how yeah, long, how, like how many sentences would you have exchanged with him before he would have started raging about jazz?
0: Yeah, was that like number one?
1: <laughs> right? You'd be like, hello, Mr. Schindler, how you doing? Ah, fine, except for that jazz. <laughs> <laughs> he and, and one of the things he in one of the articles he they quoted him uh and he derided jazz band directors who he said quote, "Beat time with one hand and fix their neckties with the other <laughs> so I think he's saying that they're that, you they' you know, translate
0: that yeah I'm not even sure their
1: skills are i think that their skills are probably wanting, you know okay. um, but also that they're maybe sort of more worried about how they look mm hmm. Than, okay. you know than the music they 're making, so anyway, I just thought like this guy 's a character what a what a funny character you know
0: wow i I would not be on the receiving end of that insult that is and uh, there were other interesting characters that were in this building, including William kimple
1: yeah, who was is, has an interesting story that is the kind of uh, like work history you don 't really hear about much anymore. He worked in the sales office in Milwaukee for a lumber company, but he he wasn 't selling lumber; he was selling land. And this is okay. because back then lumber companies used to buy land and they would cut the timber from it and then sell the land as like farmland and stuff. Oh, okay. So they so they had these sort of different arms, one that was dealing in lumber and one that was dealing in real estate. He moved that business into this building and then he ended up starting his own business uh, in which he sold Bibles, uh, stationery, religious books, stuff like that. And interestingly, okay. there's, there's a photo in the article where he has – a sign painted on the entire front upper front of the building with his name and the lists of all the kinds of things he sold. And, and when they were tearing down the building, I asked the owner to keep an eye out to see if they could see if any of that survived when they tore it down. Cause there had been siding put over it. And he looked and he said, none of it was still there.
0: I'm glad you asked though. <laughs> yeah. Cause probably. I thought,
1: man, if that's still there, I want a I I want a piece of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, there was a, the longest-running tenant in this building was a company by the name of Accurate Key and Lock. And along with that story comes this character, Larry the Locksmith, who was maybe the best locksmith in Milwaukee, fair to say?
1: It sure sounds like
0: it. He had a reputation for, for, for uh, being able to crack any lock. And we're going to learn more about his story, Larry the Locksmith, as our conversation continues next on Urban Spelunking.
1: We make it our mission to amplify positivity, so we're starting 2021 with gratitude. Thank you for supporting the Radio Milwaukee team. Because of you, we're still here to be your work-from-home companions, your go-to for music discovery, and more. We're excited to bring you new projects this year, plus the programming you know and love. Want to help us make it? Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart to join today.
0: And we are back on Urban Spelunking, Larry the Locksmith. uh, Great name for a locksmith. Let's just start there. I'm going to say his
1: career must have been uh, laid out right before him. If your name's Larry the Locksmith, your job is... Absolutely. Right?
0: So Accurate Key and Lock, they move into this building. Again, we're talking about this building that that just got torn down at the end of December. Uh, A building that was maybe misunderstood. It was called Ugly in a publication and not to say it was in great shape. It definitely was not in great shape.
1: Oh yeah. It could have used some work. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was not, it's not showing its best side in the, in its last years. But I mean, I think it could have, that could have easily been rectified.
0: And some of the pictures in your story too capture were captured after the deconstruction uh, was underway. So like looking at that, that, that like exterior shot, looking right at the main entrance, um, all of that siding and stuff was, was down. You could see the, the framing underneath like that. It doesn't look great in that photo but when it was called ugly that was I think before before the yeah. that actually started to come down, right? Yeah, I think so. Cuz I got to be honest like when I when I look at the the pictures it's it it's in kind of rough shape as you captured it, but that was I think after after some of the work had begun, right?
1: Yeah, and it was I mean it was definitely not in good shape, but I think that something that's not in good shape does not automatically make it ugly. It just makes it something that needs some attention, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there was actually a lot of businesses we talked we talked about in the first half that came and went, but the longest running was one called Accurate Key and Lock. And actually, uh, this building being right across from the the former Journal Sentinel building, like you mentioned, Bobby, this was you know a mainstay and on State Street for for fifty plus years. You actually, when you worked on, on State Street, this was right across the street from from your from your office building, right, Bobby? So you saw this building all the time.
1: Yeah, and they were actually there longer than 50 years because on State Street because uh, the store opened – by 1930, it was open a block to the west on State Street. It was owned by a guy named Charles Regelman who opened it there. Um, And then in 1951, he moved it to the building that we're talking about. So he had been on State – I mean the the business had been on State Street for more than 70 years.
0: Got it. So so, uh, accurate key and lock. With this, uh, this this long footprint in Milwaukee. So how did you get introduced to this story of Larry the locksmith? I was just really uh, just blown away by this story and the details that you found.
1: Yeah, you know, what's funny is that I think had I been a customer at the shop, I might have known about him a lot sooner because his son ran the shop for a long time uh, after his parents died. And when I ran the story on Milwaukee, there were tons of comments on Facebook from people who knew the son.
0: Really? Um, Wow. Okay. From,
1: from going into the store, doing business in the store. So, um, so I think people, some, a lot of people obviously knew about Larry, but his story had sort of gone quiet in more recent years with the shop being closed and all that. So Larry answers, um, a blind ad just like a help wanted ad in the newspaper. Um, Regalman is, is advertising, looking for somebody to work in the shop. And this is at the very beginning in 1930. 1930. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and Larry O'Leary, his name is O'Leary, his last name is O'Leary, applies for the job, goes for an interview, and gets the job. And suddenly, like <laughs> I was going to say, that this, his future was sort of uh, this sort of uh, skill set he had was unlocked, <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, but but that's cheesy. Um, but. It's really true though, because because he didn't apply for it because he had previous experience or anything. As best I can tell, he he just applied for it because he needed a job, and then they discovered that he had these skills, this talent for this that that he didn't really realize he had.
0: Oh wow, yeah, that's like the uh, the the old fashioned like walk in apply for a job, that old fashioned job seeking story that seems so long ago. You know, like who knew and how would you know that you have this skill if you've if you've never had it? But I, I'd imagine there's a certain like. Mind for it and, and dexterity to, to to be a locksmith and yeah to right
1: right and to wrap understand your head that right right yeah. just to understand how they work and and what's interesting is 1937 so just he'd been doing this for seven years he the journal wrote he can pick a lock quicker than you can say Jeremiah Obadiah Doodle Thistle. Although I don't know why you would say that. Um, said he could peer inside a lock and make a key from memory that will open it in a jiffy. No wax impressions or models needed. He could twirl wow. the knob on a burglar-proof safe a couple of times and tell you the combination. And he isn't in jail. It probably wouldn't do any good to put him in jail because he picked the lock of his cell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this guy was the best. I mean, this guy was great. Yeah. And,
1: and it even said, it goes on to say that he didn't know a thing about picking locks or making keys seven years ago. Wow. So basically, in seven years ago, he became the kind of guy that could like f- shine a flashlight into a lock and then turn around and make a key without even doing like a wax model or something. Just crazy.
0: And again, we're talking the 1930s, right? Yeah, yeah. And you found t- <laughs> this detail, in, and you mentioned it in the story about, like you said, peering into a like an automobile lock and being able to fashion this key, in, in just a few moments. What a what, like what a superhero he must have been to people at the time.
1: Oh, right. Can you imagine? I mean, even somebody like <laughs> Regelman, who had experience, you know, and was probably a good locksmith to have stayed in business that long. I mean, they wrote the story about Larry, not about his boss. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just amazing that he clearly had, like you said, he had just whatever it took mentally and physically to be able to wrap his mind around, you know, the the kinds of skills that you needed to do this job. So when Regelman, who owns the store, retired in 1949, uh, Larry... O'Leary actually took over the business with his wife Margie, uh, and then they they ran it um, for decades. And then when they when they died, their son took over, and he ran it for a long time. And, and as I said, when I re- when I wrote the story uh, out in Milwaukee, tons of people commented on how they knew the son and how they knew the shop, and the Journal Company apparently used him for all the locksmithing needs and all these other companies oh, came. Oh, really too so it wasn't, yeah that's so cool but then it had become obviously a really big business because that must have been a lot more than just sort of walk-in business it sounded like he had a lot sure, of yeah. big accounts and stuff too
0: and so then accurate key and lock really was a family business at least this the entire its entire life in fact everything in this building sounds like it was a family business since it went up in 1885
1: yeah yeah and, and larry and uh, larry the locksmith and margie um I mean until Larry the and Margie.
0: Yeah. I mean, come on.
1: Right. Yeah. They <laughs> ran it till 1982 when they both died. Um, and then their son Brian took over and ran it until about, I think, 2012. And then it's been vacant since then. It went ugly since then.
0: <laughs> well, you got some pictures from inside uh during the deconstruction, but also some pictures from when it was a locksmith shop, so you can actually see what it looked like as accurate, right?
1: Yeah, and I got some of those from the um the current owner of the building. When I told him I was doing the story, he was intrigued to hear the um, the history of it, and he sent me pictures. I couldn't get inside because it was uh, they didn't want to let people inside because it was unsafe. Um, so he sent me pictures from inside, and he had some of the old and oh, actually, I found some of the older photos as well um, on the public library site. Mm-hmm. Um, Coming
0: through library, awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, also I got some great ads, newspaper ads. Um, from over the years as well that, are I, that in the that's story.
0: sometimes like my favorite part of your pieces bobby is these these old newspaper ads and and the reporting it was just such a different approach like the newspaper just was totally different back then and terrible. it really
1: was mm-hmm.
0: it gives you such a glimpse into history in milwaukee which is so cool
1: yeah totally i'm with you
0: Here we are again at the end of another Urban Spelunking with proof again that every Milwaukee building, even the ones that some think are ugly, have stories and have this family business for years. And we're talking about a a business that was there for an existence for seventy years, you know. Yeah, right. And and,
1: and and then there were, you know, and there was another sixty-five years of businesses before he even got there, right? I mean, there was there was our jazz hater. There was the Kimple with his, <laughs> selling his Bibles and books. There was a string of uh, restaurants in there for a while. There, I mean, there's just been all these kinds of businesses in there that it really just kind of tells a story of a. Uh, of, uh, and what's interesting is so many of them were run by immigrants. So again, it reminds us that immigrant that Milwaukee was this immigrant city where people came and tried to make lives for themselves by starting small businesses and running them with their families. And and these buildings have all these stories to tell.
0: I think you make a great point about immigrants who who came to Milwaukee to find a better life and uh, whether or not like they were super wealthy um, there's a lot of success stories and it depends how you measure success but running a, a, a locksmith business for 70 years I would say that's pretty successful
1: and to have that kind of and to have that kind of reputation like not only did he just run it for all those years he I, from almost the very beginning he was obviously respected by people for what he did and for his skills.
0: Well, podcasts on 88.9 Radio Milwaukee are produced by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License lab with support from Midwest Stairs and Iron and On Milwaukee. You can subscribe to this podcast and all of 88.9's podcasts on our website at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcast or wherever you're listening right now. Just hit subscribe. And while you're there, too, we ask if you could just take a moment to rate and review the podcast. That feedback really helps us out a ton. On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo. Thanks and talk to you next week.
1: Talk to you next week, Nate.